Hey there, before we get started, here's just a quick warning. For anyone with young listeners in the room, this episode does contain some swearing. My mom called me like a year and a half ago and like on the verge of tears because she had basically, long story short, fallen for a phishing email. So she calls me, you know, and she's like, I'm really upset. I, I, I think I like, I think I might have like given this information out that I shouldn't have. I'm not really sure. I don't know who to ask about this. She just had no idea what to do. Well, who did you even ask? You're listening to Hacker Culture FM, a podcast about the people and movements driving cybersecurity culture forward. I'm your host, Sean Sun, and on this episode, how a red teamer met a startup veteran and became co-founders on a mission to secure your inbox. I don't know about you, but personally, my email inbox fills up pretty fast. Whether it's newsletters I've forgotten I subscribed to, or marketers telling me I need to try something out, it all gets to be a little much. But every now and then I get something that's more than just annoying. It looks almost important, something I should tend to immediately. Maybe it's someone sharing an important file with me. Maybe it's something to do with my bank account. And that's when things start smelling a little fishy, like the link is incorrect, or it's coming from a weird email, or the sender's tone seems way more urgent than it should be. And then I realize what's going on. A phishing attempt. Phishing with a PH. And I hit the delete button. But what if I didn't catch it? Or I didn't even know what to look for? What then? Who do I talk to? I don't have my own security team. That's where Sublime Security comes in. It's a startup co-founded by Josh Kamju and Ian Teal. And on our second episode of Hacker Culture FM, we'll talk to them about how they met, the mission that drives Sublime, and why you should drink lots and lots of water. Josh and Ian, welcome to the show. Hey. Appreciate it, man. Glad to be here. No problem. Um, so, Ian, do you remember the first time you met Josh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, love at first sight. <laughs> now we, Josh and I met through a a mutual, like a very sort of random mutual connection. So just a good example of how the people you meet, you just never know how they're going to end up coming into play in your life. Josh, what do you remember about that experience? And how did you know that you guys were going to be working together? Yeah, so we we got introduced and we hopped on a phone call and... I explained, I basically gave Ian the pitch. I was like, this is what I've been working on. This is my background. Um, this is why I think it's really interesting and why I'm really passionate about it. And Ian just got it right away. Like it really clicked for him. He understood what the problem was and he understood why what we were building was like, the, is, is a solution for that problem. Um, and the fact that he just understood and was able to like grasp that, you know, Ian doesn't have a security background per se. Right. So, but he was able to, to, you know, see that vision and immediately start contributing to like my vision. So he started like adding value, adding, you know, his own ideas, his own spin on things, improving things. And we just basically just hit it off from there. Can you guys tell me, you know, elevator pitch, what does Sublime Security do? What is your mission? All that good stuff. The super short one is we use like the, the bite-sized pitch 
um, which is always the best pitch, is we use machine learning to detect and flag phishing attacks right in your inbox. Awesome. Um, can you tell me about the vision and can you tell me about where that comes from? Yeah, so I've been kind of in like offensive cyber doing like red team and, and pen testing since uh, basically since high school. Um, so like almost 10, 10 years now. And um, typically when I gain access to a network during an engagement, it's usually through either like a web application, but like 90% of the time it's through uh, social engineering. So um, like, a, like a spear phishing email or some kind of email based attack. And so um, that's not just my experience, that's also in the industry. You see that as like a similar, similar problem. Like 90% of compromises of networks begin, stem from like some kind of spear phishing or like email based attack. And so it was just kind of a natural fit between my background as an you know, offensive um, cyber person and the needs in the industry mm -hmm. and like the problems in the industry, they kind of aligned. And so I saw that and thought, okay, well, I know exactly what goes into building these campaigns, these really effective campaigns. I do it all the time. Um, so like, and I'm, and I also love to build software. I'm a software engineer. I build like all kinds of software and I love it. So it's, it was kind of a blend of all those things. Um, so I decided, all right, well, let me build something that would stop me. Nice. Um, well, tell me about the mission of, cause I see that on your website, it's about making the internet a safer place. Why start at email? Yeah. So like email touches everybody. Um, like f our personal lives and, and also business lives, email is the centerpiece of communication, uh, how we run our business operations. Um, and so it's just so key and vital to just daily, daily life. Um, so, uh, you know, that, and, and, and on top of that, you have, uh, the ubiquity of, uh, compromise that occurs through email. So those two things are, are why we want to help people. And, and like as a security person, for me, it's really important, uh, like for my own fulfillment and for my own, you know, mission, um, leveraging my security background, my security skills to help people that don't have those skills. Mm -hmm. So like my mom or my sister, uh, or your mom and, or, you know, your, your family, they may not know how to identify a phishing attack. And so when they get that email, that malicious email in their inbox, are they going to know what to do? I don't have full confidence that, you know, everyone that I care about knows what to do. And so that's what's driving us to build um, both consumer and business line of products so that we can mm -hmm. we can protect people, uh, you know, who are, are who, who don't know better, like who don't know how to identify these attacks on their own. And even if even if you do, like people are just busy, you know, mm -hmm. you get an email and you're like running to a meeting and you just click on a link. Even if you're a security person, sometimes you fall for those things if you're just you know, super busy or not paying attention. Have you guys been affected personally by any phishing emails? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. My, uh, my mom called me like a year and a half ago and like on the verge of tears because she had basically, long story short, fallen for a phishing email. 
So she calls me, you know, and she's like, I'm really upset. I, I, I think I like, I think I might have like given this information out that I shouldn't have. I'm not really sure. I don't know who to ask about this. She just had no idea what to do. Well, who do you even ask? Right. Like, right. If you're, if you're a consumer, you don't have a, a security team that you can email about this. Right. So, um, so that was another one of the reasons why when I, when I first talked to Josh, I was like, yeah, if my mom had this product, this just wouldn't happen. And it was for me, obviously it's very upsetting to have your mother call you on the verge of tears, right? That's like really emotionally, you know, uh, right. taxing. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I always wonder what the effectiveness of like that security awareness type of training is. Um, and I think everyone with email at some point gets a phishing email. What's one of the strangest or most interesting ones that you guys have seen or possibly even like the best one you've ever seen? <laughs> So there, there have been a lot of like convincing campaigns recently. Um, I think one of the most entertaining ones um, that I've seen is like a fake subscription service. So like just annoying the hell out of your target so that like with, with annoying emails, um, thinking that they subscribe to something um, and then like forcing them to interact with that email eventually to either unsubscribe or, or like, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's been one of the more interesting ones, but there've been, there've been a lot recently. Yeah. We're seeing a lot, uh, like on the consumer end, there's a lot of impersonate, like brand impersonation happening right now. So it's Apple support is huge. Um, so that, Something that we keep an eye on is obviously like our data, but we also do things like we look at Twitter and like people tweet at Apple support, uh, like a, like a screenshot of a phishing email. And there's like at least one of those every hour. So like, so the, 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 like the volume of these attacks is pretty incredible. I think the, like as a, as a relative newcomer to security, I find the like two step phishing attacks that also fish your 2FA key are really interesting because I think the, a casual observer thinks that 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 two-factor authentication is like okay now we're totally safe from phishing and it's pretty trivial to to incorporate mm -hmm. that into an attack. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I'll let Josh. <laughs> yeah, so there was there was a port a report um, I think just like a couple weeks ago on Iranian threat actors that were leveraging uh, multi-factor um, like phishing campaigns. So essentially what you do is you just stand up a proxy in between your phishing, like credential phishing site and the real site. And um, it's, it's basically the same as, as like the normal phishing, um, except not only are you passing your, uh, the password to the service, but then you're also passing the uh, multi-factor code. Um, so this, this, you can make, uh, so you can start using like hardware based tokens and like UB keys and stuff to defend against this kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, like uh, there, there are, there is some, I guess, misinformation that like, if you are using two factor multi-factor, you're completely secure against these credential phishing, like credential based phishing attacks. Um, it's just important to be aware of the risks. And Josh, you've been in the security world for a while, um, doing red teaming and doing, sorry, doing penetration testing. Um, how has that transition been like to work in like a more defensive type of space? Yeah, it's, it's tough. So as, as a red teamer, someone on the offense, 
you you just have to win once right so like you're trying to you're trying to gain access to a network you're looking at the web application you're looking at the network fo- footprint you're looking at services and then you're looking at the human elements with like social engineering and so you have a lot more opportunity as an attacker to gain access into a network um, whereas when you're on the defense, you have to win every time. So it's, it's a lot harder. Um, and so despite this being a very like focused problem where we're focusing strictly on spear phishing and trying to identify email based attacks, you still have to, like, if you lose once you lost, whereas, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a lot more difficult in my opinion, being on the defense. Um, but it's been really fun to, leverage the offensive experience to build a better defensive product so that's the part that i've really enjoyed is because as i'm as we're building these different you know defensive techniques um i'm like thinking back to my last engagement where you know we we used a particular strategy or particular attack uh, successfully. And so we can just build that into the product and, and, um, identify those for, for people that are using it. So, um, it's been tough, but it's also been really fun. You guys have been building sublime security for about a year now. What are some challenges you guys have experienced along the way? (laughs) So as far as the product development goes, (laughs) one of the most challenging things has been dealing with the Microsoft API, to be completely honest with you, it's like, it's, it's not, it's, it's garbage. Uh, (laughs) It's been really, it's been really (laughs) difficult to, to build against. Um, but you know, we've, we've persevered. Uh, so we've, we've started building our G suite, like our Google products recently. And Mm -hmm. that's been like, it's been night and day basically dealing with the Google APIs. Yeah. So we basically got the hard stuff out of the way first and now we're just, we're moving towards that. Yeah. Nice. Um, Ian, you've been in the startup world for like forever at this point. Um, you've been at Alto, you've been at Space Angels. Um, what got you into this security world? You're making me feel really old, Sean. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm turning 30 soon, man. It's it's. I'm still trying to deal with that. Um, so I had so security and AI were were the top two broad areas on my list of like problem spaces that I want to wade into next that I don't necessarily know a lot about. Um, and so, like within t- 10 seconds of talking to to Josh, it was really clear that Sublime was going to touch both. Um, and that was really exciting to me. So, um, and I, I think a lot of it is just like personal connection too. like the, the specific problem you're going to work on is really important. And the market you're going after is really important, but most important thing is like, do you click with the person that you're going to work with? Assuming you have a co-founder because you're going to spend a shitload of time with them. <laughs> Are you guys sick of each other yet? Surprisingly, no. Uh, at least I'm not. I don't want to speak for Josh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sick of this guy. Totally. So <laughs> sick of him. Yeah. No, but when, when Josh and I are together, we're working. I mean, we, we get up at like, you know, whenever, like, I don't know, eight, nine, pretty early for us. And then we're working until four or five in the morning. And then we're doing that for like, you know, days and days and days and days and days. And it just feels great. So I think when you find that, you just have, like, it almost doesn't even matter what you're working on, but hopefully you're working on a great business too. But uh, it's a great feeling. So how has this experience with Josh been different from your other ones at uh, Space Angels or Alto? 
I mean, so a, bi a big part of what makes it different is like Josh and the problem we're going after. But I'll start with just, I know a hell of a lot more now than I did the first startup I worked on, right? And when I, when I, when I hang out with my old co-founders, like that's the first thing that we catch up on and joke about, right? Is like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them how it's yeah. going with what I'm working on now. And they're just like, dude, we had no idea what the fuck we were doing. Well, you know, like we were like 19, like what, like we had no clue. Um, so yeah, I, I, and I think the biggest thing I know now is just when I don't know something and like having the impetus and like the initial, you know, inertia to like go out and find the, the answer to that. Whereas I think when I was younger, I was really embarrassed to not know something and that prevented me from learning a lot. Whereas now it's like, I'm, I'm very transparent. I have no idea what this is. Like I need to go figure it out and learn about it. That's been really key. Ian, you write um, a lot of blog posts on Medium or occasionally um, you'll write a blog post. Something that I read recently was the first rule of managers club is that it's always your fault. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And can you expand and possibly any like personal experiences that you've learned from or learned this rule from? Yeah, totally. Um, I feel really passionately about this. So always excited to talk about it. Um, one of the things I observed a lot in the startup world and, and, I have to caveat this with like my experience is very limited to startups. So the biggest company I've ever worked at had 400 employees. Okay. So I feel like I know at, at this point, I feel okay saying that I know a decent amount about startups. No idea if this applies to 3000 person companies, but I feel like it probably does. Something that I see a lot, um, startups have a lot of young managers because the organization is growing very fast and uh, culture is really important. Mindset's really important. There's a lot of tribal knowledge. So you end up with really young managers, long story short. And those managers are usually really bad. So if you, if you pulled all of Silicon Valley and said on a scale of one to 10, how good is your manager? The average is going to be like three. Uh, everyone has a really bad manager. And so, I, you know, I can't fix that. But, but one thing that I think if everybody could wrap their heads around, it, it would, it would, it would be like a firmware upgrade for the average manager is that when something goes wrong on your team, be it your company, your, uh, or your department or just your little team, um, you need to start from the assumption that whatever's happening is your fault. Is if you do that, you're you're engaging with the problem with the mindset that I can do something about it. And uh, whereas what most managers do is something goes wrong and they immediately think of whose fault is this or like what caused this, right? So one of my sales reps isn't performing really well, you know, okay, well, why is that? Uh, or, you know, our team isn't shipping product or code as fast as it should be you know, okay, this engineer sucks or, you know, this designer sucks or whatever it is. If I start from like, this is my fault. Ultimately, the reason why I have this job is that I own the output of this team, good or bad. Um, so what can I do about this? And then the, the, the specific example I give in the post is just around like, you know, you've got a, an engineer or a salesperson, just as two examples on your team, they're not performing well. And so either um, if you hired the person, that is your fault. This person is doing poorly. You brought them on the team. Is your fucking fault? Or if you didn't hire them, uh, or it could be an and or, um, you did a really bad job managing that person. So if this really was a great engineer, a great salesperson that you hired or somebody else brought in, and they're doing poorly now, is your fault. And it, it gets you nothing. If we just play this out from a game theory perspective, it gets you nothing to assume that it's their fault or to think that it's their fault because then you can't do anything about it. If you assume it's your fault, um, you at least open up the possibility that you can rectify or correct the situation somehow. Okay. So what is something a manager can do that's actually good? Um, what are some 
or rather, what are some traits that you see in managers that are good and effective for a team and make, I guess, the team feel effective and productive? Yeah. One question I get a lot from um, like mid to late twenties engineers and salespeople or like early thirties sometimes is I'm thinking about what to do for the next step in my career. Should I become a manager or should I just you know, sort of move into a more senior IC position for the work I'm currently doing. And the first thing I asked them is like, do you, do you think, or do you know that you have the capacity to genuinely give a shit about the people on your team? And if you have any hesitation about that, you shouldn't be a manager because you're not going to be good at it. Okay. <laughs> so just, just don't waste your time. Um, you might still make a good leader potentially, right? Like you could still go found a company and like that might work out. But if you talk to people who have managers that they love and, and have made them 10 times as productive as they could typically be, they will tell you, I feel like this person really gives a shit about me and who I am as a person okay. and, like, and like what I accomplish. It just, it just makes a world of difference. And, and, and like, I'm not going to recommend that, that, that anyone be a shitty manager. So, you know, if, if you can't be a great one, right. don't do it. Okay. So I'm curious because, um, you know, you have worked in startups for a long time. Uh, what keeps you? <laughs> yeah, I could. So my instinct is to give some BS answer about how I hate politics and shit. But the real, real answer is that it's the only thing I know at this point. And I'm just not capable of functioning well in large organizations. So even in the startups I've worked at that have done well, optimizedly in Alto, you know, optimizedly got to 400 people before I left. Also got to over 200. At both of those sizes, like I just become way less effective. I'm just not. I don't want to be facetious and just call it politics, but I'm I'm not good at, um, or at least historically haven't been good at you know, sort of convincing a bunch of people that we need to do something like any organization of any decent size or most, I should say, you know, things get done through some shitty sort of amorphous consensus, right? Where like, we sort of all agree in an unspoken way that we should do this. And so we're going to do it now. And what I love about smaller teams is that there's none of that bullshit. So it's just, just Josh and I, and, and we can have a very frank conversation about the, about the pluses and minuses and, and risks and rewards of doing something. And then we make a decision and then we go and do it. Um, and, and, and we own the consequences. You know, if it works or doesn't work, it's like, it's on us. So I find that, that purity to be just irresistible. It's hard to, it's hard to do anything else, basically. But, you know, if this, if, if, uh, you know, Sublime looks like it's going to do pretty well and like we're, we're having a lot of success so far. So clearly I'm going to have to, uh, uh, you know, get better at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that being said, what is the hardest decision you guys have had to make running Sublime? Mm, that's a good question. Man, that, that that's a tough one. I mean, the hardest, like, just kind of a cheating a cheating answer, but the hardest decision is probably always like to choose to work on it or not for me, right? Like, right. Talking to Josh, yeah, it's a big decision because there's this whole world of possibility, right? So mm -hmm. you have to sort of like, at some point you have to pick something and commit to it. So mm -hmm. that was always hard. But since, since working on the thing, one of the challenges we have is that everybody should be using this product, right? Mm -hmm. Every consumer should have this running in their inbox, right? Because it does, it does nothing if the email is safe, totally unobtrusive, right? And if you do get a malicious email, it's there. Every organization is being targeted by phishing attacks, every single one. 
Um, and so they all need this. So one challenge is like, who do we talk to first? Because, you know, I, yeah. Josh and I can't talk to every single company on the planet today. If yeah. we could, we would. Um, so who, who do we talk to first? And that, that, that prioritization and like sequencing mm-hmm. things is both really key and also really, really hard to get right. Yeah. There's, there's also a lot of noise in the market. So it's like, how do we effectively communicate like what, what we do and like the value that we provide and um, like how, how do we raise above the noise that's already out there? Cause there's like, there's plenty of companies that claim to do X, Y, and Z. How do you stand above those? So that's, that's always a challenge. I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up just because like you guys give away sublime for free to consumers. Um, how, like, How do you, I guess my question is, how did you guys determine that pricing model? Yeah, so the goal is to be as accessible as possible for every organization. So, uh, and, and, and for consumers, we don't, we don't want like consumers money. We want, we want to protect you, but we don't want your money. Uh, if you work at an organization, then you can pay us, you know, as a, as the organization. But even then, we want to be like dirt cheap. We want to be, uh, we don't want it to be like a budgeting decision. Like we want it to be very clear that like what the risk reward, like what the trade off is. Um, and so we want to be like the lowest price, and we want to touch the most amount of people. So that's the incentive for the that that model. This is just the beginning for us, right? Like we don't, we're, our goal right now is not to maximize revenue that we're getting from these companies. It's like, it is a complete non-goal for us. So the goal right now is to protect as many humans as possible. And, you know, the product we have today is just the beginning. There's a, there's a lot more that we're going to be doing in, in the coming years. Um, and just to piggyback on what Josh said, like consumers don't pay for stuff. Right. Um, so, so e- like, even if we wanted to charge consumers, like nobody would pay for it. Right. Because consumers are just, it, it's such a massive barrier to have to pull out your wallet. Um, and so it's just, it's just not practical. Um, so it's just, it's just convenient that like giving it away just makes sense there because we do ultimately just want to protect as many consumer inboxes as possible. It helps spread the word too about the product, um, which is really important for us. So in a way, like giving away to consumers, you know, we, we basically subsidize that and it, it just, it helps get the word out about the product and it aligns really well with our, with our mission. Yeah. Users like normal people don't pay for security products anyway, <laughs> but companies do. Companies do. And, and, you know, $1 per user per month, I think seems like it hits the sweet spot between being enough money for us to be exciting and like cover the costs we have as a business and also give us lots of exciting growth. And like Josh said, it's not going to be a budget, a budget buster, right? Most companies are spending two, three, four, five hundred $500 a month per employee on software tools. Uh, and so an additional dollar to, to prevent a, a catastrophic data breach caused by phishing is, um, it's, it, it's, it's pretty much an immediate yes for most people that we talk to. Gotcha. Um, Josh, you brought up that there's a lot of noise in the industry. What differentiates Sublime and what, like, what makes Sublime, I guess, stand out from the rest? Yeah. So I think it's important that when you're looking at like the market and who's offering, you know, products and, and whatnot, you look behind the team that's building them 
and you see like what is what's their background what what are their skills who is actually working on the problem and do they know how to solve this problem and so for us it's the the offensive mentality that we bring to the table understanding not just like from a you know like technical perspective how fishing is done but from a very like extremely granular perspective on the minute things that an attacker does or an, or that an attacker could screw up to be able to identify those screw ups. Um, and so I think that's one of the, the biggest differentiators for us is, is just having, um, you know, having that knowledge, that experience um, and, and bringing that into, into the product. It does Sublime teach how, teach people how to recognize these types of attacks? Yes, yeah, so I think that is one of the most valuable parts of um, the products that we're building is they're not just designed to identify malicious emails. The intent is, yes, we're absolutely going to do that. But at the same time, we're going to show you what is suspicious about the email and why that is suspicious. So like... If there are, let's say, like five different things that are suspicious about a particular email, for example, the sender's domain was registered two weeks ago and there's a really enticing subject line that uh, seems like there's like a deadline of something like in 24 hours, you got to do something right. Like there's some kind of urgency behind it. And you know, like the display name matches someone, you know, but it's not actually coming from them. So like all these different things as a security person, you may know to like recognize, but as someone who isn't trained in that, you're seeing that in real time. And we're presenting you with these indicators that say, um, this domain was registered two weeks ago and that's suspicious because that's what attackers do. Like a legitimate email is probably not going to be registered two weeks ago and it's like all these things in combination so we're training you to do it so now you go onto an inbox that you don't have sublime set up you're going to retain that knowledge because you're seeing it right you're seeing it all the time or when things are suspicious so that's a big big component of of what we're trying to instill in, in users absolutely um do you guys see any new cybersecurity companies that also surprise you that kind of like share a very similar mission? Um, possibly not in the same exact type of space, but also just ones that you're huge fans of. Any come to mind, Josh? Um, Ledger Ops is an up and coming startup as well. So you've, you've seen like the uh, advent of like blockchain and like that shit is exploding, but very little people know how to securely implement blockchain technology and very few even fewer people know how to effectively assess the the security of blockchain products and so ledger ops is a team of uh red teamers who have just a background in um in pen testing and and just offensive cyber operations and they've pivoted to the blockchain space and they're building they're doing you know security assessments but also they're building products to help secure uh, blockchain technologies so as the you know the blockchain space continues to grow i think ledger ops are going to have a, a bigger and bigger role to play in that space two that i uh um 
so most, so the, one of the products that I'm hearing a lot. So, so this is like as a, as a still as a pretty, um, pretty much a novice to the security world, but, um, I think gray noise is one that we're all familiar with that I hear about a lot. Um, that people seem to be really excited about. Um, I'm a kind of a fanboy of Elevate Security. They have like a gamified security awareness thing where it's sort of like a game that the people are playing and it puts puts uh, them in the shoes of the attacker. Um, and obviously like, you know, we have a lot of love for that perspective. So um, I, I think what they're working on is cool. Awesome. Um, so you guys are, you know, you guys have been working this for a year. Um, and startups are, you know, startups are notoriously hard. Um, you know, you have to work at it. Um, I guess my question is, how do you avoid burnout since you're working on it just constantly? Yeah, uh, you get burned out. <laughs> there's no, there's answer. no avoiding it. Uh, startups will ruin you as a person. Um, no, I'm kidding. But it's it's been really difficult. Um, <laughs> it's been. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the most stressful thing that you will ever do, um, with the exception of a few things. Um, but yeah, for me, I I like to work out. I like to exercise and um, and spend time with friends and family. So that has kept me sane, uh, mildly sane. I don't know about completely sane. For now, he's sane for now. Just give it time. <laughs> I, uh, I, I agree with all of that. It's, but it, but it, but it's not a joke. It will ruin you. <laughs> or at the very least, I, I guess just to put it, just to be serious, it, it, it will change you in good and bad ways. And, and, and the best thing that you can do to manage that is to just be mindful of those changes, right? So just notice how it's affecting you. And as long as you're aware of that, you're like halfway to staying alive. And, and staying sane, right? So, so, so if you notice like, wow, I am just like so fucking stressed and anxious like all day long. If you just, if you just notice that and like note it, you're, you're, you're halfway towards dealing with that and like, um, making your days more productive and more positive. Um, I meditate. I can't recommend meditation strongly enough. Like there are very few things that I would, that I blanket recommend to like any human being. Um, and two of those things are staying hydrated. Um, like, like we are, we are a biological machine and, and it, it basically runs on water and food, um, mostly water. So it, you know, it's like if, if you had to unplug your laptop for like six, 12 hours a day, like it wouldn't work very well. So, um, you, you have to stay hydrated. It sounds stupid. Like it makes me sound like I'm everyone's mom or dad yelling at them, but that's, that's, that's like real talk. You got to stay hydrated and then, uh, meditate. Pick, like pick an app that works for you. I like the Sam Harris app. Uh, it's called waking up. It's really good. Um, meditation allows you to, um, observe how you feel about stuff and decide if you want to feel that way or not. So if you're in some meeting or something and something pisses you off, your normal reaction is to be pissed off. And, uh, w when you've built up a practice of meditating, you observe the fact that you are pissed off. And you usually decide this is not productive for me. Right? It's not going to help me achieve my goals to be pissed off. So I'm, I'm going to keep my cool. And I'm going to approach this a different way. Really good when you're problem solving too, which you do a lot in startups. Like it's so easy to get frustrated. And something that I think if I can give kudos, Josh and I are both good at is just keeping, keeping cool. And I think like the, a, a lot of the work Josh has done on the offensive side has like 
forced him to get really good at that. Um, and I've just, I've just gotten good at that through years of fucking practice basically. Um, but anyways, yeah, like you, like you're going to get burnt out. Just, just, uh, stay mindful of, of how startup life is changing you and just make sure that you're happy with those changes. Try and try and mitigate the ones that, that, that you don't like and then uh, meditate and stay hydrated. And then I also play video games when I want to unwind. Oh yeah. I play, I play Halo too. It's really, Josh is really good at Halo too. Well, Halo, Halo three, but I'm, I play Halo as well. Okay. Nice. Um, what is your metric for success, uh, both for you and for the company itself? The number one metric is how many humans are we protecting with our product, which more tactically just means like how many inboxes are we monitoring and flagging? That's number one. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's how many malicious emails are we identifying? Like ensuring that we're not missing emails uh, like malicious emails and keeping the false positive rate low. Um, those are, uh, it's going to be a never ending battle, but um, those are really important metrics for us. What about for yourselves? What are your, what's your personal metric for like personal success? It's hard to separate your personal success from the company at this stage because you're just so like bound up in it mm -hmm. mentally. Um, mm -hmm. There's definitely like stuff that I'm some stuff that I'm working on and stuff that just Josh is working on, but I think we we kind of share in each other's successes and failures. So if you know if I'm if I'm you know sort of not not executing on something, it's like a problem for both of us, you know. So and it, it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, and I I think Ian will agree with this, and that for for me, um, it's like how many people are we helping? Um, my whole life, like most of my life, has been dedicated towards. Uh, like helping people, protecting people, doing what's best for people. And so for my own personal fulfillment, that is what it really drives me is like a measure of, are you making the world a better place somehow? And so um, leveraging security is just my way of doing that. Um, why do you guys think you guys, why do you guys think you work so well together? Uh, can you kind of, I guess, put that love and first sight into, you know, startup co-founder terms? We, I'll start with this. So we are both extremely driven um, and motivated to build something that will accomplish those things I just mentioned. So like building something that will make an impact on the world. We are both extremely driven to do that. Um, and like as a co-founder or as founders, that's what you need. Cause you're not working eight hour days. You're working like 14 hour days or like sometimes more. So you have to be driven by the mission in order to execute on that successfully. Um, I was going to say something else. Oh yeah. So also we have similar uh, ethics and morals. So like this, this also goes in line with like the previous point um we believe in like the same things and so we just we click really well yeah i, I i'm just going to agree with that i mean i think it's like value alignment you know is like really important um just a really tactical thing is like we both grew up in the maryland area and you know that doesn't like manifest itself very obviously but it gives us a lot of like shared 
um, this like shared uh, cultural like foundation that there's just like some some stupid stuff that like we find funny or you know that that like one of us will reference and the other person gets it purely because of where we're both from. Um, and that's like probably not helpful to any of your listeners, but you know, but, but, uh, and like, I wish it wasn't like, it didn't work that way, but there's little things like that where it's like, okay, yeah, we're able to relate uh, on this point and connect and click. And I think we've both, we've both in our own ways, you know, spent our lives at this point trying to have an impact on the world and leave it in a better place. And we've, and we've gone about doing that very different ways. Um, that, that's always what's motivated me in the startup work I've done is to, either have an impact or learn skills that would allow me to have an impact on the world. And, you know, like nothing is more terrifying than the idea that like, you know, I'll die tomorrow, like having, having not really contributed anything to our species, you know, like that's, and it's hard for a lot of people to get that, but a lot of founders have that, this sort of mindset where like, you know, and like, if I had a therapist, yeah, like if I had a therapist, like they would probably tell me that like, I need to deal with that or something, but you know, it just, it drives me, it motivates me. And I've, I've been, I've been thinking that way since I was in my, in my, in my teens. So it's just hard to, hard to do anything else. You know? Thank you, Ian and Josh for joining me on the show. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any last words, shameless plugs, words of wisdom, shout outs, anything? Well, I mean, thanks for having us on. Cause this is super fun and you know, it's not hard to get some founders to talk about their shit. So, you know, like we're all always happy to talk <laughs> about what we're working on because we're really excited about it. And, and like, we want the world to know, uh, one, one little plug I'll do mm-hmm. is that, we're in early access right now for, for Gmail and G Suite. Um, so if you're on either of those platforms, go to sublimesecurity.com. Just give us your email. Um, you'll be on the wait list. Um, and we will get you on board there mm-hmm. as soon as possible. And then it's totally available right now for anybody on Outlook. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out. You know, we're, we will find time in our schedules to talk to you. So get in touch. Awesome. Yeah, I will include that in the show notes, a link to the sign up for Gmail. Cool. Sweet. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks for listening. Sublime Security offers a great and free tool to make sure the emails you're reading can be trusted. As Ian mentioned, you can already sign up for their Gmail early access at sublimesecurity.com. And if you're interested in what we're up to, head on over to our website at hackerculture.fm. That's hackerculture.fm. You can also find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and much more by searching Hacker Culture FM. This episode was recorded and mixed by me, but it wouldn't exist without Chris Fantine, Leanna Chin, Brandon Che, and Rob Didio. Special thanks to Josh and Ian for an awesome conversation. We're wishing them the best. And of course, thank you, listener, for tuning in. You can let us know what you thought of this episode by tweeting at Hacker Culture FM or shooting me an email. I'd love to hear from you and use your feedback to improve the show. And don't forget to tune in. I'd love to hear from you and use your feedback to improve the show. And don't forget to tune in next week on wherever you listen to podcasts.